Welcome to Hannibal's Horny Abachi, a weekly dinner party where we watch and discuss an episode of Brian Fuller's Hannibal. I am Sonia, your friendly neighborhood true crime nerd. Let's go around the table to introduce the rest of the party. Hi, I'm JJ. I'm a local filmmaker, local nerd, and a fanable of the podcast. And today we have a guest at the table, as you heard through the microphone just now. Uh, our true, true friend of the podcast, violinist and all-around cool girl, Kira, is joining us by Skype. Um, if you don't recall, Kira is the violinist that provided the show with our theme. Uh, provided the, the theme for our show, rather. Um, she's also here because today's of, because of today's episode's content. Um, so, Kira, if you please uh, give us a little introduction to yourself and how you became interested in Hannibal. Um, hi, everybody. Um, <laughs> let's see. As Sonia said, I'm a violinist. Um, I live in Boston in the U.S. And I became interested in, um, well, basically the whole franchise, um, Probably in high school, I don't know, I think I hung out with a lot of film nerds, um, and, um, I read all the books, um, watched all the films, and then, um, when the show came out, I was really happily surprised. (laughs) Just because of the content, or how good it was, or that it wasn't silly, like Cannibal Rising? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was really glad it wasn't like Cannibal Rising, let's just say that, (laughs) unfortunately can't be here today um as you can tell kira has seen the show so we, uh so we're gonna pre-warn celeste not to listen to this episode just in case we get a little bit spoilery to other stuff that happens later i think this is the only time before we actually get to it that we can talk about spoilery things but anyway back to the show um we'll go four hours this episode <laughs> Alright, so this week we watched the episode Fromage, which originally aired May 16th, 2013. In this episode, Hannibal makes a friend. We learn cats make good violin strings, and Will drives an hour to burst into Hannibal's house at 10 o'clock at night. What was that? (laughs) Uh, Fromage begins with Will surrounded by his homies, fixing a boat motor in the middle of his house when he hears an animal in pain. Sound seems to be the biggest theme of this episode. We see Will reacting to sounds other people aren't hearing, and our big victim this week is a trombone player in the Philharmonic who gets turned into an instrument that probably won't be played in the Philharmonic. I put Philharmonic, but it's like, I don't know if that's technically the right word. The symphony. The symphony. I'll call it that. Uh, But I wanted to bring up to you guys, I really like that Will doesn't seem to have a TV or a computer in his house. He has a landline. I'm like, man, he's old. (laughs) You know, I actually think there is a still somewhere where he actually does have a desk. And he actually does have, like, a 
like a tablet. Yeah, or like a tablet or something. There's there's a shot somewhere, and it never got used, never got seen, unfortunately. <laughs> but he does have some technology. Well, he does have that like that ancient ass BlackBerry. That well, I don't know if I'm um, confusing shots, but it's still funny to me that he. Um, I guess he's just overwhelmed with information always. So maybe that's why he doesn't have a TV in his house or any sort of connection. I don't imagine he it has makes a Facebook. Sense since he lives all the way out in Wolf Trap. That yeah. Makes sense. Well, and he, um, he doesn't seem like the Facebook type, you know what I mean? Like, so, I don't see him updating his Twitter every day going like, oh, I'm going to, whatchamacallit, uh, check out this crime scene. <laughs> but it's just like, it's... Don't be like, this is my design. <laughs> Or, um, I really, I, I really can't wait till we get to the episode with the clock, because we can't mention that, uh, to Celeste, oh, that's and, right. you know, uh, but the clock is one of my favorite jokes in anything of the fandom, like, every time I see it, it just kills me, because there's, um, there's a, a picture of Hannibal, like, it was, of Mass Mickelson as Hannibal posing, for, like, on the couch in his office, and he's like, draw me, like, one of your clocks, Will, <laughs> and it's just a deformed <laughs> picture of a man. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it was such a horrible joke, but still, I was just, I was laughing my ass off when I saw that. But um, so I just wanted to introduce like where how we know Kira. Um, Kira and I have been friends for like fifteen years, but we only met each other in person early last year. <laughs> so uh, when I visited her in um, in Boston. Um, my one regret when we met was that I didn't ask her to melodramatically play the violin <laughs> a la Basil of Baker Street from The Great Mouse Detective. I really always wanted to see someone play the violin <laughs> melodramatically. <laughs> That's my goal in life. Um, but, uh, Kira, have you ever played a violin with catgut strings? Um, I actually have. Um, so, um, a few I was using strings on my instruments that had a gut interior and they were wrapped around with metal on the outside. Um, I love the sound, but unfortunately, the problem with them is that they're actually really difficult to stay in tune. So I'd be in a two and a half hour rehearsal and I would have to be retuning the violin like every 15 or 20 minutes. And it was I mean, maybe not that much, but it got to be a little bit annoying. Um, they do make a really beautiful rich sound though um you know not not necessarily people not, <laughs> i don't know i guess i haven't really asked my suppliers where they get their stuff um, but you can assume that they're like <laughs> a quality butchered yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah like it's uh it seems weird that this episode is so focused around like instruments and people like being used as supplies for those instruments because it was the kill the kill of this week is uh the person who becomes the cello which uh, me and Kira were discussing last night while I was testing Skype, um, that it would actually make a really terrible voice and it wouldn't sound very good. Uh, yeah, basically, no. No. It, it, it definitely, I don't think it would make the sounds that um, Will imagines it makes it would be in the show either. It just sounded really demonic, that noise. Like, what did you think when he played it? It sounded very... I was actually very curious. I was wondering if Kira had an idea how you think uh, Brian Retzel, Retzel, how how he might have made that sound, that really ghostly sound. Her best oh, that's best guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that is, I, I mean, I 
just whip out the piano right now and get it out, or the violin and right now and take it out of tune and just make as much weird <laughs> noises as you can. Well, I think it was probably, um, what's that weird instrument we're talking about with, uh, that Hannibal plays, you know, the one with the air? Oh, and the sermon. Yeah, like, I think that might be it. I'm not sure, though. It sounded really bizarre. I, 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 um, if you listen to, I mean, it's kind of like the horror movie sound, and it goes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so serious. <laughs> we're just making all the noises. We're pretty soon be singing a song later. Um. <laughs> But um, f- going back to the episode, I really love how hurt Will looks when Alana says that their hunt for to find the torn apart animal in the woods isn't a date. <laughs> like he just looks so hurt when she says that. It's like, so you invited her out to go look for a possibly torn apart animal, and then you're hurt that she doesn't think it's a date. Um, but I feel, yeah, I was like, but I feel for Alana in this episode. Like even though in past episodes I've said that I don't really like her. Um, um, I really understand. Well, I guess we're on Valentine's Day today as of, as of this recording. So <laughs> Valentine's Day is tomorrow. And yes, I am single. But <laughs> but it's uh it's it's the way she sums up why she doesn't date really really hit a chord with me because it's, like dating is really taxing. Like it's really you get to know somebody and what if you don't like them? Then you wasted all that time and yeah, it just like she really summed it up for me well and I'm like, I wonder if some bitter single person wrote that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But what do you guys think of the the episode in terms of um, uh, Will hearing things throughout the episode? Like it's it's setting up, well since Celeste isn't here, um, it's setting up for what's coming what's coming soon in terms of his illness. So it's like, how do you think sound plays a role in this? Other than the fact that auditory hallucinations are the most common in uh, mental illnesses, <laughs> but. Yeah, like a uh, visual are very visual hallucinations are very rare. Auditory are a lot more uh, a lot more prevalent in um, schizophrenia, for example. So it's it's pretty bizarre. I think it's just because like of how close the the parts of your brain that listen are to the parts of the brain that get affected by schizophrenia. I don't know. I'm not a biologist, but <laughs> so, but do you think it has something to do with? Um, uh, the importance Will places on his animals? Like, why does he hear an animal in pain, do you think? It's <laughs> <laughs> just all silent. I'm thinking. Um, well, I think, again, because of Will's uh, empathy disorder, and he finds it easier also to just uh, feel sympathy in general for animals. Uh, they're like his better friends, I find. <laughs> so... I, yeah, I feel like the animal hurting in the background is actually, is Will hurting. <laughs> and that was the way it manifested was a hurt animal. Like, I feel like it's another thing that Will created that's different from the, from the Raven's Day. So it's yeah. like his Mindigo, yeah. Yeah, kind of. And I don't know, like, I, I thought it was very interesting. Like, when I, I finally, finally noticed while watching it uh, this third or fourth time, that the animals don't react to anything that he's hearing. And I thought, that's clue number one. <laughs> the animals are just chill. Whereas I think they would probably hear it first before he Yeah, did. like tr- animals would probably hear it a lot more and get more agitated. Um, I think that's one of the creepier parts. Like when they go to Tobias's uh, shop, there's that whole section where he's like, you guys didn't hear that? And the cops are like, no. 
and that part freaked me out just because I don't like the idea of not being in control of what's going on. And I don't know, like, I, I've said it before that the scariest parts of the show are that um, your perception is such a, a big tool of how you, how you normalize uh, the world that when it's messed up like that, how do you know what's normal? How do you know what's real? Blah, blah, blah. So it's just crazy to me that they can sum it up with just this Will hearing a, a, a hurt animal somewhere down uh, down in the woods or something. I'm like, I don't know, it's just really good storytelling to me. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yes. Um, but let's see, what else do I have on here? Well, we already talked about how terrible that person cello would sound. According to <laughs> the TV Tropes episode I was reading about the episode, um, it would sound terrible just because uh, of the body parts that would be inside the person. Because the body of the cello is actually what makes the noise. I think it's the same with violins. Right here, I'm not sure, like, how that would work. Uh, yeah, they're basically the same shape. Uh, obviously, a cello is a lot bigger, um, but, yeah, I mean, you need, you need a bit of a hollow body <laughs> to um, make sure that, the, you know, that that's how the strings make noise, essentially. Um, you need a little sound post in the body. Um, just a lot, of, a lot of things, none of which involve, you know, different organs and <laughs> well, I keep imagining that um, the way the body was laid out and hearing all this talk about how it wouldn't play like a violin, I imagine it would play more like a bagpipe, you know, it would be like, just crazy stuff. It would just sound good. Parishions? Par- how do you say that? Oh, 
partitions. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I'll start again. I was like, I can't see what you're doing, <laughs> so I can't tell There you. were no <laughs> effective par uh, partitions in his mind. What he saw and learned touched everything else he knew. He could not anticipate them, could not block and repress. So, like, he's constantly being bombarded with information, it seems. Hence why I don't think he has a TV or a computer. But still, it's like, what is he, a poor man? Anyway, but not to keep hating on Will. Uh, but his description of Hannibal by Will. Dr. Lecter is not crazy in any common way. We think of being crazy. He did some hideous things because he enjoyed them. But he can function perfectly well when he wants to. Which is what, what, when I read that, I was like, yes, that's why I don't like Hannibal. Because <laughs> like, he can hide. He's hiding everything. Um, so to go back to the human cello again, um, that sound they made, I really want to find out. Like, I'll, I'll find it out for the next episode. But the sound it makes, I just felt it in my teeth. It was such a, like, like I don't know if it had the same reaction to you guys, but I don't know. It was just like a primal sound. It's like, I liked how deep and rich it sounded because I had my headphones on when I was watching, and just that, yeah, just that warm like boom. I wonder if I could find it on my computer. And but I was like, damn, that sounds awesome. Because <laughs> like for a very brief time, I, I tried to learn uh, cello, uh, so I just remember thinking like, oh hey, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but how was um, Will Graham's fingering on the cello, uh, Kira? Was that was it accurate or was it just him like? play acting at the cello. <laughs> Most of the playing um, in this episode was not really synced with the music that was actually <laughs> going on, but that it almost never happens in movies, so it's fine. <laughs> you learn to live with it. <laughs> You're just like, oh, they did that. Uh, it reminds me of a Simpsons line. Did that? Could that bassoon have come in any more late? <laughs> but it's just like random stuff I say when I don't understand music. But <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but continuing the technical aspects of this uh, of the things I love about the show. Hannibal's eye like keeps freaking me out, and I know um, JJ said last time it's because uh, Mads Mads Mikkelsen has really deep set eyes, but it, like they use it so um, they use it so differently. When he's talking to Tobias in the uh, string strop, he doesn't have the eye light anymore, and when he's talking to Bedelia, he has it. Like it's really bizarre when they use it because uh, he. Like, Mess has these, like, the really dark colored eyes that freak me out every time I see them. So, like, I don't know. I guess that's why I can't find him attractive as Han Well, I can't I find him attractive as Hannibal, but I don't find him, like, groin-grabbingly attractive as Hannibal. You know what I mean? Like, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. It's just scary. It's like finding the shark from Jaws attractive. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just something that's... <laughs> It's like, cause you like you imagine Hannibal like swimming under your like in a pool or something. Well, no, okay, we get, we're gonna get to that episode. Yeah, it's like Well, that speaking of that episode, I can't wait till we get to it, cause I, I my favorite episodes are always the ones where we get to see Hannibal as he truly is, and that episode where Hannibal was taken hostage by the dude that was obsessed with Will. In the know. yeah, in the second season, I've read fan fiction, so I don't know his name. I can't remember it offhand, but I was like, yeah, that guy I look up sometimes when I want to read really creepy Will Graham, creepy guy who's obsessed with them pornography. Anyway, but um, so the, like, I love the way Hannibal is not scared when that happened. Like he he his wrists are cut. He's uh, like two steps away from being choked out and killed, and he's not terrified at all. 
Like, that that was, like, just freaky to me. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, it's my favorite. I don't know if that freaks people out or not. But uh, seeing him in, in that way creeps me out more. I don't know. The psychology of people freaks me out. Like, uh, the fakeness. I think me and JJ always have problems with that. Because I'm, like, uh, she loves Hannibal and I hate Hannibal. Well, I don't hate Hannibal. We have a love-hate thing. But, like, because JJ, what really attracts you to Hannibal as the character? As a character, well, um, I think I've said it before. It, he's everything. When he's when he dons his person suit, he is everything that I would like to be, which is charming, intelligent, and just well bred, well educated, and just all these. He knows what to say, even though he. Um, now that I'm wa- rewatching the show and actually paying more attention to the way he talks, um, he really is pulling out programmed responses a lot of the time. And that is kind of creepy and cold. Um, like when um, uh, an episode back there, when he was talking to Jack, and Jack's talking to him about uh, his wife's cancer and stuff. I noticed that Hamill does his uh, head tilt, does a blink, and then like initiate response. So he he tells a response he thinks is correct. Yeah. <laughs> and just despite how robotic that looks, I'm still very fascinated that he can still do it, and most people don't pick up on it. Yeah. The only reason we see it is because as a viewer, the camera's on him, so we can see what he's doing. We can see him thinking and working and doing those head tilts. I love the fucking head tilts so much. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me I'm not the only one who's noticed the head tilts. But he does the head tilts all the time. It's really funny to it's, me. I find it's a, it's a little bit of a, a serial killer trope. I noticed that actually happens in a lot of films. The, the killer, Anthony Hopkins even does it. Uh, I rewatched. Uh, you posted on Facebook. You said, uh, the, uh, you said me and Kara bonded over this thing. <laughs> no, yeah, but, um, I posted the clip from Red Dragon where uh, Hannibal's watching an op. Uh, Hannibal's watching a symphony, and he all he can focus on is the one man that's playing horribly right? every two seconds. Yeah. Like, and it's like every, every single time the guy hits the wrong note, you can see it like Hannibal got punched in the face. <laughs> well, yeah, right at the end, scene before. Yeah, he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like right at the end, if you actually rewatch it, watch the end, Anthony Hopkins is the head tilt, and you see he makes that decision. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think about that pretty much every time I perform, by the way. I think it's getting me complex, so. Well, because uh, well, me and Kira were talking about it. That was one of our favorite scenes. When, like, we've been friends for a very long time, and so when Red, Red Dragon came out, and I knew that. Kira was uh, a violinist. Um, we'd always talk about that scene whenever she'd go audition. So we'd be like, oh man, what if there's that guy that's in the audience and, every, and like if you screw up even minimally, he gets that twitch in his eye. <laughs> so, but uh, Kira, for you, um, what draws you to this Hannibal? Like not the Anthony Hawkins Hannibal, but the, the mass one. Like what, what makes him different from Anthony Hawkins? Well, I mean, I think you guys have said this before, but um, especially for the first, you know, couple of seasons, Hannibal is really hiding in the person suit. Um, and um, one thing that we don't get to see too much with Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal is just what does he do? I mean, we, we know that he liked to eat and he liked to listen to classical music, but we got, we got a couple of hints that he may have had friends and that he even may have dated somebody. Um, but, you know, it was all pretty much off screen whereas here we get to see we get to see it all and it's all extremely creepy (laughs) (laughs) but um i I, but i i like that um even though they do go into his backstory a little bit in um season 
seem to try to explain it all the way too much. Um, one thing, um, one thing that I loved about the book character Hannibal is, get up, oops, make sure that this is the right thing. He says, he says, um, what I feel like is the entire like thesis of the whole Hannibal franchise, I guess, is when he talk is talking to Clarice Starling and he says, "Nothing happened to me, Agent Starling. I haven't." Um, which I love. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's basically like unlike the other killers that Thomas Harris created. Basically, he doesn't have. Um, you know, this tragic backstory that explains, um, you know, how he became a serial killer until, of course, um, Thomas Harris kind of retconned that away and created the tragic backstory for him <laughs> in Hannibal Rising, and I kind of felt like that was the weakest part of the books. Um, they do go into that a little bit in the show in season three, but um, I felt like they did it in a way that didn't try to excuse Hannibal or make him less mysterious. Yeah, I think that's um, something that's brought up a lot with, um, well, well, as an example, the Joker in the Dark Knight, he doesn't have a, um, he doesn't have a prior history, so you don't know what makes him that way, and I think that a lot of people would agree that's what makes him scarier, that you don't, that you don't know his history, that you don't know what made him this way. Like, the reason Francis Dollarhide is such a sympathetic character is because of how insane his grandmother was, how uncaring his mother was, how his step-siblings treated him like well it's fresh in my mind because I just finished reading it like two nights ago but yeah it's like um can we excuse his crimes due to like well this is going to come up in the true crime section too but (laughs) can we excuse their crimes if they have a horrible story because it's something like uh not to get to the whole history of it but with um aboriginal offenders in Canada they now take into account um diagnoses uh, diagnoses of uh, fetal alcohol syndrome and um, family life and uh, living on a reserve into account when they sentence people for violent crimes now and there's some uh, like of course there's always the the horrible f- comments about like well I had a like I, my mom there didn't love me and I didn't kill a bunch of people but it's still like when does it get to be the point where um, when are the crimes too horrible that it doesn't justify... When are the crimes too horrible that a bad background doesn't justify things? So, I, yeah, I agree with you. I was just going to add, that's another reason I like Hannibal, is um, he's, he was just born that way, it seems. Mm-hmm. Like, I find it interesting, yeah, how Thomas Harris added that whole thing with the, with the, the trauma that happened with his sister. Uh, with Hannibal's sister, um, <coughs> Misha. Um, but I like to think that Hannibal probably would have grown up just the same way. He just would have come into what he actually was much later. Yeah. I, I like to think. Like, he was still going to be who he was. Just he had something that pushed him along. Yeah, because, like, he didn't have any, like, if we go by the Hannibal Rising aspect of it, he didn't have the, he didn't have the parental supervision that would have been, like, it's just like, um, in Game of Thrones, like, uh, when Cersei and Jamie were caught by their mother in, in, like, uh, having sex when they were kids, like, their mother just separated them, like, she slept on one side of the castle, he slept on the other, like, it just delayed their relationship right and so I could see the same thing with Hannibal that if he had grown up with his family like the conventions of being in a family and the rules of being in a family would have prevented that from happening sooner 
And so, yeah, it's like, um, I do like that idea of Hannibal being this person that was always going to turn, always going to start eating people that he didn't like. <laughs> so. Well, plus, like, if you do follow, I don't know how much you follow the backstory, too, like, you get the feeling that he grew up in, uh, he's from uh, aristocracy, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I always get the feeling that he would have gotten, or he would have got so bored at some point with just high society life, you know, uh, he needed something to entertain himself. Um. I feel like I'm backtracking on myself. I'm <laughs> saying that. But anyway. Oh, yeah. On. He's like, he would have been like Elizabeth Bathory, who was this like ancient noble woman who um, people would send, uh, noble people would send their children to her to be trained in the court. But what they didn't know was that Elizabeth Bathory was killing these kids and um, trying to maintain her use by bathing in their blood. So that's all I can think about. If. Hannibal had gotten to the point where he was this huge European aristocrat. That's who he would be. <laughs> that he'd be because he, uh, like, rich people can op- operate with such like impunity that he could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I think. not crazy or eccentric. Right? Yeah, he's like he has the money to cover up his indiscretions. It's I was like, gonna say, you know, what I just discovered. Did you know there's a new facial treatment where you use your own blood on your face? <laughs> I was like, what? And I'm like, that sounds so much like the freaking yeah, like vampire right? <laughs> uh, serial killer lady way back who bathed in her. Uh, or maiden's blood or whatever. And I was like, is that a thing now? Is that something people are doing now? Well, I think that, uh, what's her face? Um, Gwyneth Paltrow probably advocates that along with, like, shoving jade eggs up your vagina. But sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that. <laughs> oh, but uh, one of my favorite aspects of the show, or this episode, was when Will uh, Hannibal says that people are like music. And I'm like, they have a, they have a moment and they end. And so I was like, if I were a song, I think I'd be Lady Gaga's Bad Romance. That'd be me. <laughs> but I was wondering, like, do you guys agree with that assessment that people could be like music? Like, they don't, like I really like that poetry of what he was saying about, like, I don't know, he, admi- he likes people, but he doesn't see them as equal to him, I guess. Like, it's something to appreciate, like, art. I don't know. They, they add, like, uh, whatchamacallit's... It adds a characterization to him that I really like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think, yeah, like, so, uh, Hannibal probably views some things or some people like music. He definitely sees Will as a piece of music. <laughs> but he probably sees others as more like, I don't know. Recipe. Yeah, yeah. recipe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like, <laughs> it's like those Looney Tunes where they're trapped on a, on a deserted island and they start appearing as, like, pizza or hamburgers. Yeah. <laughs> Puppet Hannibal. <laughs> Him and Will are stuck on an island, and he looks over at Will, and Will's like becomes a piece of food. And he's like, "Why are you looking at me like that?" And it's like, "Nothing." <laughs> but uh, we mentioned this at the top of the show, but I love how Hannibal plays the most pretentious, pretentious musical instruments because it's not enough that he plays the piano or the violin or the cello. He plays stuff like the harpsichord and mm-hmm. the theremin. And the theremin makes me laugh every time it shows up because I'm like, that is the most pretentious thing you could ever play. It's like he can't even play a ukulele or something. I don't know. It seems so hipstery to me. <laughs> I don't know because is it to add like a bit of like eccentricity to him? Like, why do you think he plays the theremin and the harpsichord? Because they sound cool. <laughs> well, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. I think it also pertains to his, uh, he has, you know, the heightened smell, heightened hearing, 
um, he probably gets bored with uh, traditional instruments like violin and cello. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so whereas I'm told the harpsichord isn't actually quite like the piano. It, it has a different sound and you play it a little different. Kind of like the organ. It's not like a piano. You, mm -hmm. have, you also have to play it with your feet. And it yeah. has two sets of whatever. So I think uh, because he's so highly intelligent and he needs extra stimuli in a different way, that's the way he entertains himself so he can you know, stay sane in between killings. <laughs> yeah, it's like the opposite of Will. Because like, Will is always bombarded by information, but it seems like Hannibal always needs something. Like, needs stimulation of well, some kind. Will. Will has his dogs. He, he's always facing boat motors. He's always fishing. You know? Yeah, he, he needs a different kind of stimuli. Who's he fixing those boat motors for? I wanted to know that. It's probably his own. Isn't that the same boat in season three? <laughs> At the beginning of season three? Oh, he's like building his dream boat, maybe? Or yeah. something? Yeah. I could see that. But I just still don't get why he's doing that because he, he already has a, uh, a rich a rich white person's boat in season three that he sails across the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This way, okay. <coughs> so I'm native, if we didn't really know that. <laughs> I just made an observation after I watched Hannibal again. I was like, how come every single, like, how well off white person owns a sailing boat? Because <laughs> it makes them feel, uh, which is the word? Um, makes them feel fancy. Like it's like, it's hard work, but it's like uh, a rich person's hard work, you know? <laughs> but I don't know if that's the reason. I, I don't know. Like, I, I hate to throw, uh, like, you know, say white person, but I'm just saying it's a trope I see in films and books and just like, it's only one breed of person that seems to have. <laughs> I thought Will was like, you know, poor, you know, from Louisiana and whatnot, and kind of poor background. Yet he still has a freaking sailing boat. Anyway, <laughs> but is a wolf trap and you had a sailing boat, and uh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's really fun though. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's like what is with people? Like I've never seen a black person drive those things. <laughs> But um, isn't Wolf Trap in Virginia, right? Isn't Virginia mm -hmm. state? Yeah. Isn't Virginia landlocked? <laughs> so what is he driving the boat on? <laughs> I just assume he went to the coast. Okay, he went to the coast. Okay. Yeah, they definitely are. They have a big coastline. <laughs> okay, good. I was like, I couldn't remember if it was like deeper inside the, the, the you know, obviously we're very ignorant of um, U.S. states. Uh, we're Canadian, by the way, but yeah, like, because I've actually been along with the coast. Do you think I would know by now? Now I'm going to open Google and look at a map. Sure it is. Um, but okay, I just have to discuss this one thing. Well, no, I'm going to discuss more than one thing. But I really love Hannibal's dining room set. Like, well, dining room set makes me think I'm talking about his plates. But like the way it, it's my favorite set of the show because I love the wall color. Like, what the heck is that wall color? It's like an opal, it's like black, or something. It's like a rich bluish purple. Yeah, it's not even like a royal blue. It's like it's like a black blue. It's like the color yeah. that emo girls dye their hair basically. <laughs> but um. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, I don't know, it just like, just the color of the walls and that and makes me think of what the inside of his head looks like, probably. Mm -hmm. That's the color of Hannibal to me. Like, not blood red, but that color of black blue sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to mention this too. Um, wall color has an intense impact on mood. I remember reading in my undergrad uh, that babies will cry more in a room that's painted yellow. 
So, like, it's, like, uh, we're in a yellow room right now, me and JJ, so we're just like, what? this is why, why we're so angry. But it's just, like, I just love that set because it's just so beautiful. Like, it's always, um, it's always so, like, you'd think the black walls would make it really um, sinister, but I think it's one of the more calming rooms in the, in his house, like, because the kitchen is so sterile, and I just love how the, how the, how the dining room just seems like it's more lived in. It's the one cr- non-creepy room in that house to me. I don't know. JJ, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, yeah, like, I recently, uh, I was, you know, scanning Tumblr, and I saw uh, a shot of his dining room, or rather the, the set, because you can see over the wall into the kitchen. Um, <clears throat> and I was just like, oh, is that what that looks Someone was commenting about the, the art piece on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is a, an art piece. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I was like, that's actually a very nice, elegant freaking dining room that he has there. And you're right, it probably is supposed to be the most lived in, and yet supposed to be most elegant, because that's what people see first is probably his dining room. Or that's the only thing he lets people see. Yeah. I find he actually doesn't let lots of people in his kitchen unless, yeah, the only time I've ever seen people in his kitchen are, like, just the people he likes and those odd kitchen staff. Yeah, like the people helping with, at his catered events. <laughs> I like when uh, Hannibal is describing himself as lean to uh, to Tobias in, when they're having dinner. Uh, like he'd make a good meal or at least a heart-healthy one. And it's like, <laughs> does he have to describe himself as a meat cut? Just I like, like how he says to Tobias, like, I wouldn't poison you, Tobias. I wouldn't do that to the food. <laughs> I personally haven't read any of it, mm-hmm. but that is a pairing. Uh, is is one of Sunny? Is that a rare pairing? Kind of. Probably, yeah. Kind of is. People more like to like to have to bias with Will, and that he's fighting for the affection of Will against Hannibal. Oh, in that's that cool. That I've seen. And again, this episode is another episode that shows up a lot in fan fiction as the inspiration for a lot of Tobias's character, because well, obviously, almost this whole episode is Tobias. It's just Tobias, yeah. Yeah, and they still like to include the scenes from there, like when Hannibal and Tobias fight. The reason they're fighting is it's for Will. Yeah. <laughs> Will is like uh, the lady of the uh, that everybody wants the hand of. <laughs> no, this feels so slow of me. There's a Chesapeake Beach. I know, I, uh, <laughs> Chesapeake was mentioned in um, Red Dragon, and I was laughing. I was like, whoa, because like, I, I, I don't memorize books. Like, I, I, I'm mm. amazed when people can memorize, like, little details of, uh, of uh, books. Like, I had a friend who was, like, obsessed with Harry Potter trivia and knew, like, minuscule things. But, like, I don't memorize them because I read them for fun, damn it. But <laughs> they're not textbooks. But, yeah, yeah I, I really, uh, well, I, this brings, since we're looking at the map of Virginia right now, mm. um, Kira, could you tell me the story about when you went to Marathon, Florida? Yeah. 
we wanted to take pictures with marathon signs just in our animal towns. Um, fried shellfish. Um, they have conch down there. It's delicious. They have what? <laughs> she thought she said something um, else. Yeah. It's also elk, right? Um, like a mollusk or like a like what yeah, is? Like, you know, like when you when you, when you see it, like in a movie, if somebody's like listening to a seashell. And oh, like those, those big shells, yeah. Well, I was just giggling right now when you mentioned uh, somebody from Marathon, Florida listening. I was checking the stats for our SoundCloud listeners, and for some reason, like, the third most popular city that we get listeners from is Baltimore. It's <laughs> just, like, Hannibal's this name. So. Well, actually, there's another podcast from there. Uh, oh, yeah, like, uh, well, Head Full of Hannibal, yeah. Yeah, so... They're probably listening like, to this oh, thing, like, what are they talking shout about? Shout out to them. They, yeah. Like, I, did, uh, I was really amused by that. Like, the Balta, like I was looking them up after they uh, reblogged us, and I was like, oh, we should give them a listen. That sounds cool. Like, because it's set in, their podcast is set in Baltimore. So I'm like, ooh, I want to <laughs> listen to that. <laughs> well, shout out to all the people who listen to us. But, okay, so I'm going to get into, uh, so prepare yourself for goriness. Because I'm about to get into the under the table segment today, Yay. true crime. Um, so this week I'm focusing on the story that is developing at the moment within our uh, city, fair city of Winnipeg. Um, back in 2008, I was waiting for my ex-boyfriend to return home on a Greyhound bus coming in from Thompson when I heard on the radio that a Greyhound had been the site of a brutal murder earlier that day. So, uh, AJ knows this. Everybody who lives in Winnipeg knows this one yeah. right now. So, I'll just explain it because I know... Um, yes, please tell. Yeah, okay. So, I'll tell him. So, on July 30th, 2008, Vince Lee got on a Greyhound bus in Erickson, Manitoba. Mm-hmm. He had arrived the night before with three pieces of luggage and had been witnessed at 3 a.m. sitting bolt upright with his eyes wide open, seated on a bench outside of a grocery store. Lee was born in China in 1968 and came to Canada in 2001. He became a Canadian citizen in 2005. According to Lee's ex-wife, Lee would disappear for long periods of time, took bus trips, and rambled often. He was found wandering a highway in Ontario and was briefly hospitalized. He said he was following the sun as ordered by God. Before he left on his trip to Manitoba, he left his ex-wife a note that read, I'm gone. Don't look for me. I wish you were happy. At 6.55 p.m., Lee boarded a Greyhound bound for Winnipeg, first sitting near the front, then moving to the back after a rest stop, and sitting next to another passenger. The passenger was a young man named Tim McLean on his way home from a job in Alberta. He slept listening to music on his headphones. According to Lee, he began to hear a voice that told him McLean was a force of evil and that he was going to execute Lee. Witnesses say that McLean was fast asleep when Lee produced a hunting knife and began to stab McLean on the throat and chest. He attempted to escape but was blocked from the aisle by Lee. McLean screamed and according to witnesses attempted to hold Lee back when the bus stopped and passengers ran off. Lee began to sever the head from the body. Two men and the bus driver attempted to attack Lee but were chased off and Lee began to slash at them with his knife. Lee was locked on the bus by the driver who immobilized the vehicle when Lee attempted to drive off the bus, drive off with the bus. Lee began to sever parts of McLean's body, brandishing the severed head of McLean at the passengers who were outside of the bus and ate pieces of the body, believed to be parts of his heart and his eyes as they were not found when the body was later examined. 
The RCMP were contacted and arrived around 8.30 p.m. where they began to stand off with Lee. Police, police witnessed Lee eating parts of the body and he taunted them with the head. Lee was heard saying, I have to stay on this bus forever. Around 1.30 a.m., Lee attempted to escape the bus through a broken window and was tased and arrested. Police found parts of McLean's body in the pockets of Lee's coat. During the trial, Lee was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found non-criminally non responsible for the murder. He was sent to the Selkirk Mental Hospital where he stayed until 2016 when he was allowed to live in group homes and then out on his own. Last week uh, in Winnipeg, he, Lee was granted an absolute discharge and there are no legal restrictions or obligations pertaining to his independent living. So now Winnipeg has been abuzz with this news. Many think that it's putting the public at risk what, uh, and what have you. <coughs> While Lee has been living in Winnipeg before his up, Lee was living in Winnipeg before his absolute discharge. He was attending a local gym where he was spotted by a local reporter who posted in the paper about Lee's whereabouts. Local radio call-in shows have also been packed with callers asking what would happen if Lee were to go off his medication as he was unmedicated at the time of the McLean killing. Now, we won't get into it because it's really convoluted, um, but because I think it's talked about enough, um, but I think it is horrible that mental illness is only at the forefront of the media when something of this magnitude happens. When the worst happens. Yeah. There's a huge suicide epidemic, epidemic going on amongst the indigenous communities in northern Manitoba and northern Canada, but the government is convinced there's no money to help these kids. People go to their family doctors to get help, but there isn't any support or money within the average insurance package to get people more than 10 visits with a psychologist. It's only when events like McLean's murder happen that people suddenly have an opinion and it's always to jail. I wish there were more supports in place to prevent such things before they happen. Um, I also forgot to mention this in my notes, but um, one of the first responders to the uh, bus that night ended up killing himself after suffering for years with uh, PTSD, and there was no supports for him, apparently, for the trauma he had gone through after that had happened. So, And a bunch of people who were witnesses that night have ongoing PTSD. Uh, Tim McLean's mother has been active in uh, making sure that Lee is... Uh, kept locked up and she's totally against the absolute discharge um, I'm not sure exactly like personally I think uh, it would not be I wish he were being kept and monitored um, I think people are harassing him though like uh, I think more for his safety that he should be locked up like because people were harassing him when he was going to that gym and stuff and just being stalkery, but of course this brings up the idea of like, well, what if he killed your family member? But it's like hard to know because like random attacks like this happen so rarely, uh, but they're always very explosive. So it's like, it's a hard thing to discuss because it's like on one hand, like you're more likely to be hurt by somebody you know, on the other, random attacks are the most terrifying thing. Like uh, JJ, I don't know how you feel about it. Like, like is it's is it something that's like because I know we both deal with mental illnesses and there's very rare very rare um, opportunities for help unless you're really at a bad point so it's like mm. do you think this will bring more discussion to mental illness within Canada or is it just going to be demonizing things again uh, I think a mix mix mm. of things definitely those uh, who yeah deal with uh, mental illness on a daily basis or those who have family members that deal with it will be advocates for it 
and that's probably what the two two sides that are fighting right now. People who like are like, you know, he was the most extreme case of what may happen mm-hmm. if your mental illness goes untreated and you have no support or you know, like that's the extreme, so yeah. extreme, so rare, you know, and. Uh, and then, but at the same time, yeah, I, I wrestle with that idea too. It's like, well, shouldn't you be safe then? Like, if he is the extreme, that would happen. There is still the potential that it could happen again. Yeah, like it's very. Uh, so yeah, he should at least be monitored or someone making sure he's at least taking his medication. Like, are you telling me we can't afford a, like a monthly visit or someone to go see him every two weeks? Mm-hmm. How are you doing? How are you doing your pills? You know, pee in a cup. Let's find out you're making, you're doing your medication. <laughs> Personally, I think once a month, every two weeks, whatever, is fine for someone to check up on someone, you know, uh, with what you did, rather than rotten prison or yeah, exactly. Institution. You know, what I find interesting. <coughs> I, this is kind of going off topic, just a little. I, I filmed at Selkirk, that <laughs> <laughs> mental hospital. We it, we were in like a decommissioned wing or something. So, so we were filming there, and I remember that's what all the film crew were talking about. It's like, yeah, so and so here, and it's like, oh wait, what were we filming then? I don't remember, but yeah, we were talking about how, like, yeah, we're, like, in this institution, and blah, 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 and I was like, why are you guys, like, going off about this? Yeah, it's also a hospital. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's meant to help. People. It's not the hospital in the basement from Silence of the Lambs, people, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's a very rare thing, because um, I think mental illness is still stigmatized, like, uh, not to throw hate at my parents, but whenever my par- my mother would go for dialysis in Selkirk, she'd always be like, oh, look, Sonia, there's the nut house, and I'm like, shut up, mom, just got calling it that. <laughs> and so, like, um, I think, of course, my dad being, like, the big elite, like, cop man he is, was talking about how if he had been on the bus that night none of that would have happened and I'm like dad shut up you can't you can't can't tell that yeah because it's like um people don't know like because if I had heard somebody screaming and being stabbed to death like there's no shame in running like I'm not playing a hero like I want to like I want to go home to my parents at night well my parents don't live here but I want to go home to my family yeah I think people place too much um, on heroics. It's like, don't be a hero, people. Like, save your... Well, of course, this is coming from me who's getting the tattoo, save yourself, kill them all. <laughs> I'm totally gonna get it. I'm thinking about putting it on, on my arm or under my smog tattoo on my stomach. I don't know. Like, it's a place where no one will see it and, like, uh, in the well, end. That's okay. The tattoo's just for you anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Somewhere where it's just for you. But it would still be funny to be with, uh, like, uh, be with my husband, Tom Hardy, or something and have somebody <laughs> see it and just. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, like, well, I'm glad this got a little bit happier than the topic because I knew, like, I had to bring this up, to, bring up the Vince Lee thing because it's such a big story within Winnipeg right now, especially since he's probably going to be living, well, he has been living in the city. And I know, um, I'm surprised my dad didn't call me on the phone saying we were going to move because, like, uh, <laughs> we might get killed and eaten. But it's, I don't know, it's just like, it's just a sad situation all around. And I'm glad that. It's at least getting people talking about it. Like, uh, Canada is home to very few serial killers, but we're home to the most extreme ones, like Bernardo and um, and uh, Picton and Vince Lee. Well, Vince Lee's not a serial killer, but we're the most um, extreme, I guess. We don't have many, but when we do, they tend to be very terrifying. <laughs> I also, well, I don't like to think, but I think we, we probably even have more uh, unnoticed, considering, you know, 
missing and murdered indigenous women. I personally think that we have more killers than we like to think. Well, did you ever hear that story about how uh, the poli- the local police believe there's at least three active serial killers within Winnipeg? I'm, I'm just pulling the, the total out of my ass, but it's like more than one anyway. And so it's just like... Yeah, just like, geez, like we're like Baltimore in um in the Hannibal universe. Yeah, like there's we, something in the water. There's something in the water and it's poisoned. But <laughs> but <laughs> to go back to the episode, um, I just wanted to point it out to people. Um, I love how Will burst into Hannibal's house at ten PM at night. <laughs> And like so, like Hannibal hears the doorbell ringing, and they're like, "You expect a visitor?" No. Sorry, I was taking a drink of water. Well, he's just like, "Do you expect somebody tonight?" No. Goes to the door, and Will just burst well, in. I love how like Hannibal just like sees him like flap his coat, and he goes, "Well, come in." He, Will is the only person he lets be rude. It's so. <laughs> That should be clue number one, Hannibal. And then Hannibal, like, mentions that he drove an hour to get there. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? Like, okay, now I'm kind of seeing the Hannibal love. It's still one-sided to me. I just think it's, um, I don't know what Will sees Hannibal as. Maybe as his only friend who understands his insanity or, like, some a potential lover. I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys think Will's... Well, like we can sense that Hannibal has a thing for Will. He mentions it to Bedelia, but what do you think Will? Will what do you think Will sees Hannibal as? Kira. side because I'm just like I don't want Will to be with Hannibal but it's yeah you can see because Will is like the wild card of the relationship because like um I do okay Celeste don't listen to the next part but um (laughs) in season three when Will knocks Hannibal off the off the cliff I think it's because of um that he knew that Hannibal loves him in that way in that way (laughs) but I think that Will knew that the world is better without Hannibal in it, and they could, and that's why he killed him. I'm like, it's all the long con to kill Hannibal. <laughs> that's my thing. Well, <laughs> JJ, please. Okay, well, okay, that's really jumping really far ahead, but oh, no, but I was just gonna say how uh, the way I think Will views Hannibal up to this point 
is certainly, uh, yeah, just as a budding, a budding friend. Mm-hmm. Certainly, he probably saw, saw him as just a someone who's who's getting him so far. Mm-hmm. Like Hannibal d- hasn't really seen to judge anything that Will has has said or done. Mm-hmm. He offers insight, um, but that's about it. So, <laughs> well, like I said, you know what Will did was very rude. He did, he just <laughs> showed up. What well, you know, didn't announce that he was going to come. Didn't see if Hannibal was even going to be there. But Hannibal just kind of goes, huh. Right. But he had have food for Will too. That was a bit, a bit of a. Well, he he said you benefit from this. I have dessert, so. Oh, like, okay, yeah. So he, he and extra. Because Hannibal's fascinated by, you know, what Will does. He he lets that slide, and I find Will yeah showed up like yeah Hannibal seems to let my quirkiness slide, whereas he just you know had that rejection from Alana, whereas. He hoped Alana would understand him at least a little bit. Certainly, there's a you know we know there's a physical attractiveness. They let, both liked each other, but she was like, "You're you're still too crazy, baby. I'm sorry." Whereas Hannibal was like, doesn't even doesn't even mention that. He just says, "Your mind is unique. Your mind does this. <laughs> Tell me more." He's a yes man. He's man. a yes man. Yeah, like and it just makes him feel good. So like, what where else is he gonna go once he felt bad? He went and saw Hannibal because. Before he went and saw Hannibal when he, he did the sleepwalking and he gave him coffee in the morning. So it's like, where else is he going to go? <sighs> but his behavior is a lot similar to, um, to what's his name, Franklin. Like, his, um, you, can see par- you can see parallels between Will's behavior this episode and Franklin's. And, uh, like, why is... Well, I guess because Will's cuter, but, like, Franklin is, like, Franklin behaves with the same rudeness that Will did this episode, but but Hannibal's more accepting of it than Will, and I think that's more because of uh, how he's becoming the protege to, to Hannibal, and it, I think the, he did the same thing to Clarice in the Hannibal book, where, uh, like, he was um, more willing to put up with her because he was fascinated by her. If that makes sense, I don't know. <laughs> Jump in anytime. Here, <laughs> sorry, I was just gonna add one more thing. I was just gonna say, um, uh, certainly, yeah, I saw the parallels this time too between Franklin and Will, both being just these real odd ducks that Hannibal has. Who really want uh, like what, really, what's the word? They really want um, acceptance. Whereas, like Franklin, uh, Hannibal says, you may be attracted to psychopaths and you want to be around that. Whereas Will, probably actually is one. Uh, but doesn't want to be one, you know, mm. and that fascinates Hannibal. Like, why wouldn't you embrace this gift you have? Where, again, I see a parallel to Anne Rice's uh, <laughs> The Vampire, where uh, Lestat considers everything that a vampire has as a, a gift, whereas Louis, like, really fought against it. It's like, it's not a gift, it's a curse, you mm-hmm. know, the Lola. Where I think that's probably more like Hannibal's like, nah. See, like, Franklin, he probably wouldn't have to, like, Franklin to me is like an Igor character. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, blindly, happily, just dis- discussingly follow Hannibal. Yeah, like, he's Renfield. Whereas, yeah. yeah, whereas Will would be, you know, just, uh, is, yeah, it's like this wonderful potential partner, companion, someone who will get you. Whether it's romantic, platonic, doesn't quite matter at this point just yet, but definitely... A friend. Yeah, Will is like Claudia in uh, Interview with the Vampire. Like, uh, it's sort of like Claudia in that, in that, ha- like, Lestat sees her. In the beginning, as, Claudia. Yeah. You know, like, potential. The potential. potential. Yeah. Like, okay, that's a really good way of putting it. He is Claudia to me now. <laughs> it's like, they love each other, but they hate each other. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, Do you have anything to add, Kira? <laughs> Especially about the Clarice thing, because I know that you mentioned wine boob a lot in the past and stuff. Wine boob. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> they could only do so much. <laughs>
like that scene with the hologram. I know I mentioned that on the previous episode, but I'm going to go to my grave with that hologram on my gravestone. But it's like, I, I just love he, um, he makes every second count. Like, I love that. Like, oh, man, such a good actor. Well, again, yeah, like, if, uh, if everyone else is doing their job, then everything Mass does will be caught on on a camera because mm-hmm. yeah the camera sees everything you don't really have to do very much mm-hmm. I usually I remember I was telling a couple of kids in uh, acting um, we had to it was an exercise right you, we only had four lines to say I said make a decision what's you say this line and that's going to spark your decision make it don't tell me what it is but when you say it the decision has been made and I have to see it on your face so I know what you want to do because we only have four lines mm-hmm. and I remember saying, like, I saw it. I said, now, if a camera was where I was, the camera would have saw it. So it's just like, you got to see a switch. you got to see the click. And Mads and Hugh do that so well. Oh, Hugh. Uh, who do you think? Okay, Kira. Uh, we're uh, we're the, most, the most important question of the episode for you. Who is cuter, uh, Master Hugh Dancy? <laughs> oh, God. Sophie's <laughs> choice. <laughs> to an award show and he wore one of Hannibal's suits. You know, so out of place though, like in that suit and he's being mass, not Hannibal. <laughs> I was like, you so weird, bro. It looks so cute though. Uh, have you been watching those videos? Um, he, uh, Hideo Kojima is posting about mm. mass. Oh my god, that's so funny. Oh my god, it's like, fangirling so much. Because Hideo was like, uh, I posted this thing on Tumblr and uh, Hideo was like, uh, Mass went out to the went outside to smoke for f- uh, to smoke and while he was waiting and I watched him for like five minutes. <laughs> like, oh my god! <laughs> and I love how he calls him Mass on. It's just cute I, to me. It's I'm, like I'm just waiting for like the cue with anime when his eyes get all big and <laughs> that sound. <laughs> Whenever he's on, I'm like just like just. I'm like, oh, well, I don't feel so bad for gushing now, because then I'm like, well, there, it does it even to men. Yeah, well, he's so, uh, uh, he's so cute, and, like, um, I don't know, it, it's just, like, uh, I really love when people are able to express how much they admire an actor, and that makes me happy when Hideo is, like, um, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but it's just terrible, because, but, yeah, I just love how he's so, like, into, <laughs> into Mads as an actor, has all these movies and stuff. Oh, but what, what are we at right now for Tom? It's uh, Hideo Kojima. Kojima, yeah, yeah. I'm saying his, his name correct already. He did Metal Gear Solid anyway. All right. So <laughs> it comes to the end of the episode, and I wanted to ask you, Kira, what is your favorite part of this episode and why? Oh, I forgot. I liked, I liked it where, um, I like the part where Tobias stabbed the guy with the shallow infant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, oh my god, like my my industry is a death trap. <laughs> 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 
a piano string was the was the most dangerous thing in the world. How wrong I was. <laughs> that was pretty cool when Tobias had it like on the weird handle and he lets go. Yeah, the go go the go go Yabari thing. Yeah, it's like, like <laughs> and he just cuts up Hannibal's arm. Oh, I love that too. And it was on around his arm and he's tugging on it and you can see the blood. Yeah, I was like, it's awesome and horrible. Oh, no, that was so gross. <laughs> But what was your least favorite uh, thing about this episode? Probably that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like, I'm fine with the eating people. Like, it makes me hungry. I always just had a snack when I watch Hannibal. I was making meatloaf when I was watching this last night. <laughs> I'm like, hey, this looks like stuff that Hannibal would make. He wouldn't make meatloaf, but still. <laughs> he makes some kind of fancy meatloaf. Yeah, it's like, stop being pretentious, Hannibal. Order a pizza. <laughs> But how would you, JJ? What's uh, what was your favorite part of this episode? I'm gonna have to say my favorite part is is it is Will coming over <laughs> <laughs> and having dessert with uh, with Hannibal there while he's mixing it. I'm not. Uh, I wish I brought my cookbook now. Uh, I think that was like a weird uh, truffle. Yeah, uh, some, like it looked like a truffle. Yeah. Yeah. So and that just looked plain delicious. I have to find that dessert sometime. I always see it sometimes in menus and think that looks too rich. Next time I'm just gonna. Yet. <laughs> uh, least favorite, I'd say. Uh, this is poor Will going crazy. <laughs> he's getting, cr- he's going crazy, and now my heart's starting to ache because I know what's coming. Yeah. And so I'm just like, oh, you poor baby. Well, I don't know if you guys seen the Hannibal recaps before, like those funny caps where they where they add like random things that didn't happen in the episodes. There's an episode where they finally reveal that. Will has, okay, Celeste, don't listen to this part, Uh, he has encephalitis, and he goes to Hannibal, and he's crying, and he's like, um, I can't remember the exact lines, but it was really, like, it freaked me out, but he's like, "Uh, tell me I'm not sick, or something similar, but, and then he just, like, passes out, and goes into, like, a a, a silent seizure, I think they call it, but um, there's this part where somebody posted a picture of Hannibal smiling, and he's like, okay, well, show me your dead inside face, and it's just a shot of that. (laughs) Oh my god, I gotta post that later. But, um, so my favorite part of the episode was the fight with Tobias. Mm-hmm. I really love seeing, uh, me and JJ always discuss Mads' hair in private conversations. <laughs> so, and she knows that I really hate Hannibal's hair in season, uh, in seasons one through three until he goes to prison. Um, so I actually like this prison hair. Uh, but I really like this episode just for that scene with how messy, like, I love seeing Hannibal messed up, like, because you very rarely see that, so it's very cool to, for me. It's like with JJ in the socks where you never see him without, like, you never see him, uh, me to my grave, yeah, you it? never see him casually dressed, and you never see him messed up. What? But, he looks the most human. Mm-hmm. You see the real him. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite things. Um, but my least favorite was probably... Will not knowing better than to leave the cops alone with the known killer. Like, that that part just, like, uh, screamed to me that, like, because he comes out of the office and he's like, officers? And, like, I know he was sick, but still, it's like, dude, let the dog, the dog will be okay. Deal with the job right now. This guy has a lot of things that could kill people in this room. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I thought, that, I thought that was, like, Will getting into the worst part of it. But, oh, creepy. Anyway. <laughs> I did not know um, the symphony was so scary. <laughs> but, all right, 
but so we come to the end of the show. I forgot. I, you know, I um, I might want to revise my favorite part. Um, oh, okay, go ahead. travel just to see her play the violin for that. <laughs> just like me crying oh, in the audience. No. Twitter, Tumblr, and Snapchat as JJ Neeps. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as JJ Neepin Films. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Honey underscore Child. Um, you can find me on Instagram as Saranic Nanu. And for the podcast, we have Twitter, which is HH Hibachi. Uh, I'm going to start a Tumblr soon because I keep finding stuff I want to post, but I can't post on my own wall. But uh, we also have an Instagram now. Um, uh, it's Hannibal's Horny Hibachi, all one word. Uh, I post random stuff. Um, I was posting that picture today of uh, Will playing the, the human cello on the bus and somebody actually moved from the seat next to me when they saw it. <laughs> So it's like, uh, yeah, like I updated myself. Anyway, but we also, uh, you can also email us at HannibalsMorningAbachi at gmail.com um, and like and subscribe on iTunes. We keep getting really cool. Like, uh, it's funny to see which episodes people like because, like, it changes every week. So, like, this week, um, Potage is our most popular episode. And I'm like, mm. it changes every week. So it's pretty fun to watch that thing. I'm like, what are you guys hearing? Is it, like, our, our witty banter? I don't know. <laughs> but thanks for joining us today, Kira. Like, uh, it was yeah, really funny. You. Yeah, you got to come back uh, for the JL episodes in season three. Because <laughs> uh, we, uh, we're both obsessed with Red Dragon, so we really wanted to do a field trip out to the Brooklyn Museum <laughs> to go see the actual Red Dragon. So we'll do that together. <laughs> for the podcast, we got to do it. <laughs> for the podcast. But yeah, we'll... we'll travel podcast where we go around visiting all places um, 
Yes. Okay, we gotta do that. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna set it. Up. Everybody contribute some money. We'll all go. Throw the pot. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week with the next episode.